welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the last episode, I spoke with Corey McCann, CEO and founder of Paratherapeutics. Corey and team set out to de-risk a development of new therapeutic class in a very methodical way, in essence, becoming the Genentech of digital therapeutics. In this episode, I had the pleasure of getting to know Chris Wasden, head of Happify DTX. Happify, in their own words, is a global healthcare platform that combines digital therapeutics and care delivery solutions to improve mental health, physical health, and well-being. Since we recorded the episode, Happify went on to raising their next round of 73 million. Congrats to the team. But before we dive in, Chris and I have never actually met in person, though have had a social media, air quotes, relationship for a number of years. Every time I did see Chris give a presentation, I was always impressed by his clarity and a professor-like approach to educating the audience. Well, a professor he is, who has gone from Wall Street to Main Street. And now we jump to my conversation with Chris. I'm here with Chris Wasden, the head of Happify DTX. That's an interesting title, but I would love to hear a little bit of your history. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. And how did you come to the DTX industry as a whole? Sure. So I may have one of the most circuitous paths to DTX of anyone you'll probably ever interview. So I started my career on Wall Street with JP Morgan. I was an investment banker for 10 years doing corporate finance and M&A work. Then left Wall Street to go to Main Street and was the CFO of a large private company for several years, but always had this bug to be in the startup space. So I met a doctor, came up with some ideas, and we began a journey to create some medical device companies. So I started a couple of different companies over a 10-year time frame, invented technologies, got it patented, got products to the FDA, hired sales forces, raised venture capital, and did that for many years. And then kind of had my fill of, of doing startups for a while, and so got hired by PwC to start and lead their strategy and innovation practice for the healthcare industry. PwC had been a consulting firm for many years, and then after the Enron debacle, they sold their consulting business to IBM. And then after the five-year non-compete, decided to come back into the market. And so I was hired about a month before the non-compete ended. And then we began to get back into consulting. This was in 2007 when the iPhone came out. So what I really focused on as a thought leader as well as a consultant for the next seven years as their global healthcare innovation leader was how do you apply digital to the pharmaceutical industry, the medical device industry, the payer, the provider marketplaces. And I did a lot of work with telcos actually all over the world to help them figure out how they could deliver digital healthcare. And I did that for seven years and then got hired by the University of Utah to start and run a digital therapeutic incubator with them. The University of Utah has one of the leading video game programs in the world, actually. They also have a very large and successful medical school. And then they've got the business school. So I kind of brought those three elements together for this incubator to develop therapies that would improve people's health in a number of different areas. And I did that for five years. What year was that? Sorry to pause you on that. That was 2013. Okay. And during that time, I did some consulting work for MetLife. 
And MetLife had asked me to find the best digital mental health company in the world. So as a professor, you get five-year students to work with you on a semester-long project they get credit for, and you start looking. And we looked at about 80 different companies, and as a result of that, identified Happify as the best. So I reached out to Happify, and I said, I'm doing some consulting work. I have a client, MetLife, that would like to meet you and work with you. Are you interested in that? They said, yes. So I did some matchmaking, began that relationship, helped them with some projects. And then after about a year, Happify asked me if I would do consulting for them. So I did consulting with Happify for about a year to help them identify the opportunities in the pharmaceutical and the healthcare industry generally. And then after that, uh, decided to hire me to lead the digital therapeutics business. So the head of Happify DTX is, is what I do. Got it. I just still love the title. The, the Happify DTX is so much in the DNA of the company, the word Happify, right? To the audience, if you can maybe describe their path to even starting Happify, what was the trigger? I actually thought that you met them through the telecom work because I think some of the guys there did some work in, you know, in Israel and others. But um, what's their story? Why did they get started? How? Yeah, so they had a very successful and large video game business that they had created where they provided a platform for video games to be developed and distributed through telcos. We didn't know each other then, but we did have some overlap with many of the telcos they worked with and the ones that I worked with as well. And after they got to about 60 million unique monthly users and a large business with a thousand employees, they ended up selling it and were looking for their next gig. And they had an interest, they had actually done this calculation of how many hours of wasted time did we facilitate through our previous business? (laughs) And it it was billions and billions of hours that people were playing these casual games. And they thought, you know, if we are that good at getting people to use digital and being engaged with it, coming back to it again and again, what else could these people be doing that would be better for them than playing a video game? And the conclusion was that developing and improving their mental health would be a lot better And so it became this very purpose-driven, noble pursuit to take the science of engagement and apply it to a real problem, mental health, where most patients are not diagnosed, most patients are not treated, there's a shortage of psychiatrists and psychologists. And so the only way to solve this problem at scale is through technology. So how do we take technology that we're really good at and apply it to a problem that requires technology that is a global problem So that was the thesis. The problem obviously was that they're video game guys. They didn't know anything about mental health or psychology or anything else. So they began to do research and to attend conferences that you had these leading experts on this talk about this problem. And one of the schools that actually has produced a lot of the science around this as well as thought leaders is University of Pennsylvania. And that's where positive psychology sprang. And so they found a woman who was speaking on this topic, who had got her PhD from University of Pennsylvania, her name's Acacia Parks, and they connected. And they said, you know, this technology that we've got could be married with the science that you're talking about, and we could do some great stuff. And that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Acacia's our chief scientist today. She worked as a consultant early on, but then became one of our earliest employees. And then the idea was, how do we take the science that we know is proven 
to deliver healthcare mental health outcomes and digitize it and gamify it in such a way that it's engaging and fun to do and people complete it and get mental health improvement. So this is how we're very different from an Achille. Achille is actually inventing new science. The mechanism of action that they've got has never been done before and never been proven before. We're not inventing new science. We take science that's already proven. CBT is a good example of that. Mindfulness is another one. There's been thousands of academic papers that have been published that demonstrate that this sort of therapy works. And we just put it into a format that's easy to consume, fun to consume, effective in its outcomes as measured in clinical instruments so that patients improve. I just want to mention, you know, Acacia, I know she presented a presentation, I guess, sometime in what, April of 19, which was super, super fascinating. I know a lot of people tuned in and I would urge our listeners to Google that and look that up actually. And I think the science and how do you do the trials and I've always been fascinated with, you know, what does a DTX look like to me, right? The colors, how do you, you know, design the studies around it? So that was fascinating. So I guess kudos to the team getting her on board as well. You actually mentioned already, I'll say CBTs around mental health, et cetera. And I know we'll get into a little bit of a whole product pipeline and offerings. What I'm trying to do is demystify what a DTX is to our listeners and to more regular consumers. Maybe pick the Hapophile, say the core product that you started with the direct-to-consumer and actually walk us through what that experience is for a regular consumer slash user. Yep. So to do that, let me do a compare and contrast. So if you're the average consumer slash patient today, what is your experience without a Hapify? And then what is your experience with a Hapify? All right. So without a Hapify, your experience is you've got some anxiety, you've got some depression, you're aware that this is impacting your life. And so you're trying to decide what to do with it. You might go to your primary care doctor, you might buy a self-help book, you might uh, have a, a psychologist that you know or can get a referral to or a psychiatrist. So you've got to enter some part of a journey towards improvement. And then what happens is, is your doctor will either prescribe an SSRI or an SNRI to you, or they'll send you to a psychologist who will then want you to go through 12 weeks of CBT education training that will last about an hour each session and might be done on an individual basis or a group basis. And the, the plan is then through a 12-week process, you're going to get better if you take your medication and or if you do your psychological therapy. But it's a pretty big commitment on your part, all right? You gotta get in the car, drive there, have the hour-long session, drive back, and it's expensive as well. So what we did is we said, let's take all these CBT interventions that you're going to learn over 12 weeks and let's break them up into 15-minute chunks that you can complete on your own, in your own home, and then also use instruments to measure your progress. So we can do a baseline, how depressed and anxious are you today? And then every two weeks, we can do an assessment to show you how you're improving. And we call this your happiness score. So we, we've actually inverted it in such a way that a big score means you're getting better and 100% means you're perfectly happy and there's something below that is less. But it's easy for you as a consumer to understand. So we then serve up these activities, think of them as clinical intervention. So we serve up these activities that you will do that again, take between five to 15 minutes at a time. 
And they're just like what you would do in some ways with a therapist, except they're more fun and they're done by yourself. So one of them is thanks, thanks, thanks. So the academic literature has shown that people that show gratitude actually receive significant happiness benefit and your mental health benefit by showing this gratitude. So we give you an exercise to do to show gratitude to somebody else. And people, for example, that keep gratitude journals are statistically and clinically happier than people who aren't. And people who start depressed and then begin to do gratitude journals become happier, okay? So this is basically the science that we're applying here. We have another one where it's a game and it's a game called negative knockout where you pick words that are negative words that you're obsessed with Maybe it's failure, maybe it's lack of confidence or lack of self-esteem or something like that. And then you select a handful of those and then you have them become the pigs kind of in a sort of game similar to the angry birds. And then you've got this catapult and you're or really a slingshot and you're then knocking those negative words out of your life. Okay, which is similar to what you do in CBT, where they'll say, take a piece of paper and write on it negative words that you're obsessed with, crumple it up into a ball and toss it in a waste paper basket over in the corner. All right. So again, so we take these same things that you do in an analog world, we digitize it, we gamify it, we make it fun and interesting, and then we have you do it on your own time. And what we've shown with our clinical trials where we use a placebo control, is that if you use our intervention as prescribed over an eight-week period, you will have a clinically significant improvement in your mental health as measured by the PHQ-9 and GAD-7 over that eight-week period. And we have a, a response curve that shows that you actually start to see benefit within two weeks. Within four weeks, you kind of hit that inflection point and it starts to flatten out, but it continues to improve until you achieve that eight week time frame, And the goal is to turn these into habits and behaviors. So it's just not things that only worked when you were doing them, but they have a long-term effect because now you've incorporated these things into your lifestyle and the way you live and work. So, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the word lifestyle because to my knowledge, you know, Happify started a bit more of B2C or direct to consumer in the app store. You know, I don't know the number of downloads, but I'm sure this was a great learning experience, right? So maybe you can talk a little bit on behalf of before you even joined. And I think part of the reason why you joined is that evolution of the business hypothesis, right? You know, where is the company going to make money as long as you make people happy, right? <laughs> At the end of the day. So it goes back to our founders. So Tomer and Ofer came from the video game industry, which is a direct consumer business, okay? And so that's the business model they understood. You know, healthcare is so complicated. If you're new to healthcare, you have no idea payers, providers, pharma, and who pays and how they pay and everything. So they said, let's start with what we know, which is the consumer. And if we make something that's really good and really effective, consumers will pay for it. So they did that. And we got up to about 3 million users. Okay. And with that user model, you know, it's one of those models where 3 million is the number of downloads, but then only a fraction of those people actually pay for the product. But we were on a trajectory to become a profitable business under that model, but the consumer acquisition costs are very expensive. And also healthcare, unlike the game industry, 
So when, when you buy a video game, you don't expect your health insurance to pay for it. All right. You don't expect anybody to pay for it. You pay for it. When it comes to healthcare, everyone always expects someone else is going to pay for this. Their health plan, their employer, their doctor, right? And so you end up having this barrier whenever you get into something health related. So what happened is we ended up meeting with, this is Ofer and Tomer, ended up meeting with a fellow that had retired from running the specialty networks of Optum. So this is their behavioral health, mental health businesses on a national basis. So he had tens of thousands of employees that worked for him. He was a clinical psychologist by training and background. And this fellow's name is Andy Siegel, had left Optum, retired basically, and started a venture fund. And he was looking for things like Happify to invest in. And when he saw Happify, he said, I've been waiting 20 years for someone to develop technology that could do what you guys are doing, but you've got the wrong business model. Direct consumer is not the way to go. I work for Optum. Let me tell you how we would do it. So that began our pivot towards a business model that would be paid for by third parties. In this case, it would be employers and health plans. Andy ended up investing in Happify and becoming our chairman. So now as our chairman, we have a guy who's lived in the bowels of the beast, right? The, the big health plans for his entire career, pretty much, and knew how things worked. And so we began then to do outreach to these health plans and the employers to provide a, a product offering. And we ended up getting success. And now success in healthcare means that you're on a five-year journey to really make meaningful money, right? So, so you have to go through an RFP and then you do a pilot and then you do a small scale implementation, then a larger one, then a larger one. And after five years, you've got 20 million covered lives, right? But you don't ever start with 20 million covered lives. You start with a small little you know, pilot project. And so that's what we did with Cigna initially. And then we went into other health plans. And so now we have five of the largest health plans in the United States who are our customers. We then began to do the same thing with the employers. And so we have many large tech companies, household names that are our customers as well. As we were on this journey, we then began to get on the radar of some of the pharma companies because they were beginning to do a landscape analysis of the digital therapeutic space. And we're looking at what was popular based upon downloads and who was using the product. And we come up because we have very high star ratings and we have very high number of downloads. So they would reach out to us and say, hey, we're doing a, an RFI right now, trying to figure out who the companies are. Would you come and talk to us about what you do? And we had several pharma companies say, we would like to partner with you to develop products that would be useful for our patients, either patients on our patient support program or patients that could use your product as a prescription digital therapy. And this is where I kind of come in. So I began that process and that journey, which then gets us also into the health systems, because then you've got to have physicians who are prescribing it or at least endorsing it and authorizing it and whatnot. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my journalistic partner on this podcast, Brian Dolan, who is the founder of Exits and Outcomes, and as I like to call him, the digital health detective. Let's see what question Brian has for our guest today. Okay, here's my question. Happify is one of only a handful of companies that have moved into developing therapeutics after spending years building a direct-to-consumer business. How does that D2C experience help Happify's healthcare ambitions? 
And could you outline some of the challenges that come along with adding a healthcare business to a core D2C or wellness one? Thanks, Brian. And Brian, it's good to, to chat with you. We've known each other for about a decade now as we were kind of early pioneers in the whole digital health space. For Happify, when you start as a direct consumer company with a game, you clearly don't have the FDA quality management systems necessary to have products that are under enforcement discretion or that can be taken for FDA clearance. So an important decision for us is we began to see that healthcare products are generally most successful when patients don't pay for themselves. Their employer pays for them, their health plan pays for them, their doctor pays for them, the pharma company pays for them. So as we began that pivot to have other people pay for products used by consumers and patients, we had to be committed to the proposition that we would develop a robust quality management system that could pass an FDA audit. And this is not a trivial exercise, okay? This took us two years of development work where we had to over double the size of our software development team because of all the documentation required to meet all the FDA requirements, design history files and quality management systems that meet the the GMP standards. As we were beginning to make this commitment, the question came up regarding, should we have a direct consumer, kind of a lighter quality system for that business versus the more robust system for the other things that we do? And our conclusion was that since we really have one platform that serves up our products, regardless of the product and the acuity of the patient, that is wellness all the way to prescription, we really need to have our quality management system be the same for everything we do. So that was another huge commitment. And when I talk to other organizations that try to figure out what to do, they really want to say, well, we got one quality management for wellness and we have one for something else. And in many ways, that's actually more complicated than saying it's going to be one platform for everything. So that was a big decision. And then once we made that decision, then everything else kind of fell into place. Then I would add one other thing to this, which is key. When we meet with pharma clients, especially pharma clients, we talk to them about the comorbid nature of mental health disorders with psoriasis or with MS or with RA or something like that. But they want to have a proof of concept pilot done that shows that we can find patients with their disease, RA, that we can activate them on our product that they will enjoy and use our product, and that they will receive clinical benefit from our product. The only reason we're good at that, besides the fact that our product's great, is because we're really good at direct-to-consumer. So I'll give you an example. We did this one recently in migraine. In less than two weeks, we recruited over 5,000 migraine patients that downloaded our app, began using our app, And when we did this, we gathered information about their migraine. How many years have you had migraines? How many migraines do you have per week? How severe are they? How long do they last? What sort of medications do you use for your migraine? You know, your gender and all the other, you know, basic demographic information. We were then able to show that the number one and two triggers for migraine for the majority of these patients are anxiety, depression, and sleep disorders, right? Both of things that we are experts at managing for patients, all right? So the primary triggers are actually tied to our core product. 
Then we were able to show that patients that used our product over time got better mental health scores as measured by the PHQ-9, okay, and the, the GAD-2 in this case. And also that these patients began to experience improvement in their migraines as a result of using our product. Again, because we're the primary trigger, right? The mental health is the primary trigger for that. So for a pharma company to see a proof of concept pilot where we can recruit thousands of patients in a matter of days that will use our product and show benefit not only in mental health, but in the core disease is very comforting to them and gives them confidence that if they partner with us, there's lots of other things we can do. Because this was done with a Happify product out of the box, right? It wasn't done by creating a customized migraine product at this point. So I'm going to chime right in, Chris. You know, it's a fascinating kind of journey from DTC and the choices that you guys made along the way. I think, you know, I spent a couple of years in pharma and I think the listeners have heard this in the previous episodes. And I tried to ask the question because I'm trying to correlate this with the leaders in the industry. Let's talk pharma. Even to this date, and I think the example you gave before, lots of proof points, I get it. But the, my question is, especially, by the way, with Happify, you guys know what that end consumer experience, health consumer experience is like, where those skills just don't, they're not in pharma today, right? They're just not. So is it that ultimately, as a mental health player, as a DTX, as a clinically validated, you know, with RCTs, et cetera, is it that you will swallow some pills inside or will pharma swallow the DTX as part of, you know, the bigger beast for lack of a better term? Just curious on your thoughts. I mean, you've been you know, trailblazing this for decade plus. So I'm going to try to be as diplomatic and nice as I can to all the stakeholders. <laughs> Everybody has challenges, right? But yes, absolutely. The reality is that pharma companies do not possess the understanding and the skills necessary to understand digital from a patient's perspective and to develop products that are digital in nature, okay? And could they eventually maybe in time? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, if you look at the core business they have, which is developing drugs, right? You've got very long lead times. You make a drug and get it cleared and that drug never changes after its approval by the FDA as opposed to a digital product that you can create fairly quickly. For example, with our pharma relationships, we're developing and reconfiguring our current product into a new version for them within six months, right? Pretty rapid development. But then after it's done- Sometimes it takes six months to approve a purchase order in a pharma company, right. but I'm-, I'm being <laughs> No, but we've got a project right now with a pharma client where you know, we developed the product in four months and it's gonna take them three months to approve the clinical trial protocol for us to test the product. So it's gonna take as much time to get approval for a protocol as it did to develop the product, okay? So these are the different timeframes that we're dealing with. And then after the product is developed, it's never done, right? There's new features, functionality, A-B testing, changing this, changing that, which you don't ever do with the drug. There's this agility required for software that just isn't baked into the processes of a big pharma company. So what we have seen with our pharma clients is that they prefer to have us do all sorts of things that they don't want to be involved in because they know they're just going to slow it down, complicate it, and maybe kill it. So they like the fact that we can be at arm's length 
as a vendor, as a partner to do this, because if we get too much underneath the tent, then we get caught up in all of their processes. And we're not talking about quality and safety issues, right? We're talking about the, the long lead times that you have for a drug, which are baked into the long lead times for everything they do. Because they've got a decade to develop something before they bring it to market. Whereas, you know, our industry is not even hardly a decade old. So, so that's part of the challenge that we have with them is being able to remain nimble and move it forward. Now, the issue has come, and your question alluded to this, so to, is our exit to sell to a pharma company? So some people have said, well, you know, pharma was small molecule and they didn't get into big molecule. And then when that was proven to be successful, they acquired it. And then gene therapy came on. They didn't get into gene therapy, but once gene therapies were proven to be successful, they acquired it. And so won't digital be the same thing that they won't get into it initially, but others will make it big and successful and then they'll acquire it. Maybe, but gene therapies, small molecule, large molecule, all of them have the same 10-year lead time, right? It's still a biological process and product from that perspective, whereas digital is not. So I'm skeptical that they will be able to adapt in such a way that they can just acquire something and do it. We're very much on the same page. I was in a session, you know, around what's the forecast for 2021. And of course, I got to ask the question about pharma, you know, when they will change their view on digital and digital therapeutics. And my question, I think, is why do they need to? There's plenty of modalities that they are comfortable with and digital outside of their existing value chain is an add-on, right? So... It's a fascinating discussion. We'll see where and how that goes. You touched on, you know, obviously pharma wanting validation. And if I look at it again, as Brian sort of earlier alluded to a wellness product, yes, clinically validated, going to the employers where yes, validation is required, and then going to work with pharma where actual RCTs and, you know, you have to go through even further validation and clinical trials with and without a pill. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how you guys thinking about that journey? And I know you touched on quality system, but if there's anything more that you want to add. So long before we really planned on having pharma as our customers and the FDA as a regulator, we believed in having strong clinical evidence of our efficacy and safety. And so we designed a randomized controlled trial with a placebo control. And we're one of the only companies out there. In fact, I would argue we are the only digital therapeutic company out there that has the legitimate placebo controlled RCT that's ever been done. Okay. And you'll see some, they claim they have a placebo, but it's really not a placebo in the sense that it looks and feels like the product it's being compared to. Okay. So when we do a placebo control, the placebo looks and feels like Capify, right? And so if you just play with it for a few minutes, you don't even know the difference between the two. It's only when you go in and get involved in the actual interventions, you can tell the difference. And the difference is that the placebo has quizzes, polls, games that are more really psychoeducation oriented, whereas the product has the active ingredient which is the CBT mindfulness behavioral interventions that have the mechanism of action, okay? And so we did these trials, again, before we had pharma customers, and we were able to show 
that patients that used our product versus the placebo over eight weeks end up outperforming the placebo by over two times, uh, ended up having 25 to 30% reduction in symptoms of anxiety and depression, which are levels similar to what you see in an SSRI or SNRI clinical trial, okay? So we were able to show very strong clinical evidence. And we believe that that was important for our health plans, obviously, for the employers. It's important for the patient too, although the patients are more forgiving, if you will. As, as long as they think it works, they'll use it regardless of public reviews. And then we had our clinical trials published in peer-reviewed journals. Now, while I would argue that, that this is more robust than what you're going to see in most other companies, it's still not enough for the FDA. So the FDA has a higher standard with regards to clinical involvement in the product and then clinical management of the patient that is on the product and things like that. So, and all of those things add exponentially more costs onto a clinical trial than what we have done before. But we're in the process of doing those as well because that's what the market requires. And the payers have to appreciate that from a reimbursement perspective as well, because you know, if I'm going to have to incur millions and millions of dollars on clinical validation of the product, go through all the millions of dollars of cost for quality management systems, and going to uh, have to provide other sorts of evidence, then they're going to have to pay something more than a product that doesn't require all of that. You know, one aspect of it, and I remember probably a couple of years back sitting down with Offer in New York, and we're talking about, you know, Anna, I think that's the name of your AI, I don't know what you call it, a helper or AI bot, <laughs> but you'll correct me on that. But I'm actually curious, where has your thinking evolved or always been there around where's the role of the doctors, nurses, and even health coaches in this, right? Because, you know, ultimately we all need a nudge with another human being. Mm -hmm. Sure. So let's look at what they currently do and the constraints associated with that. And then we can talk about Anna and how she fits into that. So if you are a patient with a mental health problem, and it's already been diagnosed and you're being treated, normally what happens is you go to your psychiatrist every couple months for med management, and then you go to your psychologist maybe once a month for some sort of therapy, whether it be CBT or, or talk therapy or whatever it might be, but you have that level of frequency. So doctor every few months, therapist maybe every month, maybe every other week, but generally not really every week, okay? The problem is your mental health issues don't only occur every couple months or every other week, or right? Their mental health issues occur all the time and can get pretty severe. And also the commitment required to go visit your doctor, your therapist is pretty substantial and it's very expensive. So what Anna is, is Anna is the therapist, call her a coach, in your pocket that is able to be there with you 24-7, 365, to provide therapeutic interventions that can help you with whatever your problem is. So people need these bite-sized five to 15 minute interventions that they can do at, on their time schedule, anytime, anywhere to help them. And when you also look at what we're trying to do, which is change behavior by creating new habits, you don't create a habit by seeing a doctor every other month. 
You don't create a habit by seeing a therapist once a month. You create a habit by doing something every day. And so we're enabling people to use something in a way, in a frequency that enables new behaviors to occur. Because if we look at most mental health, it occurs because of uh, stressors that come into your life, whether, whether it be physical, such as lack of sleep, you know, lack of exercise, poor diet, or psychological, negative thoughts, lack of control, comparison of you to other people. And so we're, we're helping people understand the nature of their stressors in their lives, and then giving them management tools to better manage and regulate those stressors so that they don't become toxic stress and chronic stress that leads to depression and anxiety and other disorders. So speaking of behaviors, you know, we started with you and how you got into the DTX industry, but I want to actually end with you and your morning behavior. What gets you up in the morning and what is your why? So I've been involved in 10 different startups over my career. Some of these startups I started myself in my garage and I was the founder and the CEO and others, I've, they've been part of larger organizations. And so I've had a lot of support and resources. So I wasn't kind of all by myself. This experience with Happify is kind of the capstone experience of my professional career. Because what it is, is I have the support and resources of a broader organization, of a product that's been vetted and validated over long periods of time. But I also have the piece of it that I can lead and direct in a meaningful way. So you know, one of the loneliest jobs in the entire world is to be the founder and CEO of a startup right? All this pressure's on you. You got to raise the money. Everyone's income and their family's life is dependent upon you. And whatnot. So I don't have all that pressure here because I have that to be shared with other people. And we have something that we know works. It's not a startup where you hope it works and you are trying to get to those proof points. We know it works. And so the, the real challenge we have is what are the business models that are going to be most effective in bringing this thing we know works to the millions of people who need it. And I happen to have a family, and I don't know if my family's normal or not normal, but, but I have a family that has a lot of mental health challenges, okay? I have a daughter and a daughter-in-law who are bipolar. I have a sister-in-law who's bipolar that's written a book about it called An Impossible Life. I have kids that struggle with anxiety. I have kids that struggle with depression. So I'm in the thick of this. I'm in the deep end of the pool with my family every day. And we have a product that helps those people in a meaningful way and can help millions of people because it's infinitely scalable. And so we just see this great opportunity to bring what we've got to lots of different patient populations to solve real problems that they have every day. Amazing. And to use your own terms, and I guess part of the equation is gratitude. So I want to thank you for giving the time and educating our listeners. So thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission Based Media. 
Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Brian Dillon's Exit and Outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at HealthEugene or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.